Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the final show of our It's All Kicking Off Transfer Week specials. The January window is shut. It's over. It's done. Across the Premier League and EFL landscape, managers are turning up for training today, looking at their squads and thinking, blimey, is this all I've got? And why on earth is he still here? That may certainly be the case at West Ham, where David Moyes will have come off the field after his team's one-all draw with Bournemouth last night to be told that Sayed Benrahma had not gone to Leon after all. That transfer transfer was due to be worth £15 million, but fell down at the last minute. Leon's version of events is that West Ham failed to fill their forms out correctly and have accused the Hammers of a lack of respect. More on that one in a minute. But that is the footballing equivalent of not doing your homework on time, I think. At Forest, meanwhile, Nuno Espirito Santo may have arrived for work today to meet his new goalkeeper, the Belgian Matt Seltz, and may be asked what happened to the four or five keepers the club had tried to sign before him. But Fulham at least got the centre forward they were after. Albanian Armando Broja arriving from Chelsea for a loan fee of £750,000 that may rise to four million pounds depending on appearances that was quite some climb down from Chelsea who were asking for 50 million pounds just a day or so earlier that's the equivalent of setting off for a big night at the pub only to come home 20 minutes later so as you can tell it's not been a thrilling window just 17 permanent deals across the month in the Premier League and this is the take of our transfer guru Simon Jones writing across our Mailsport platforms today Simon has said the window did not so much as slam shut it was delicately put back on the latch to end one of the most underwhelming transfer periods in recent memory now this show will not be underwhelming um, because I've got with me today Sammy Mottbell, our chief football reporter, and I've also got Lewis Steele, our very well-informed man on Merseyside. Jack Gorn will join us later from Manchester, while Craig Hope, our North East expert, was due to be here, but he's had to head off to an Eddie Howe press conference. Don't worry, we will hear from Craig in a while. First, let's speak to Sammy. Like I say, he's Mail Sports' chief football reporter, um, 
expert at transfer deals or uh, reporting on transfer deals, I should say. I should say. Although there are a few football clubs out there who could probably use a bit of his expertise. Sammy, um, hello, mate. Just tell me, um, at the end of a busy month for you, um, a stressful month for you, what was the last deal or the last story that you worked on last night before you finally got to bed? Oh, yeah, like, having ignored uh, my wife the entire day yesterday, I... Um, Finally, around half eleven, quarter to quarter to twelve, started to get ready to get into bed. Phone goes, Ben Rama deal off. Uh, West Ham haven't haven't submitted their de- haven't submitted the deal sheet in time. Um, so a a deal that has been pretty much a week in the working has fallen down uh, during the last seconds of the window um, because West Ham, according to Leon. Uh, haven't submitted their haven't submitted the, the the correct paperwork in time, and it's just like you know, you, you, how can that happen? You've got a month to get these deals done. Why is the paperwork not in? Um, you know, five minutes, you know, ten, uh, ten to eleven, or whenever you, you know, whenever you get need to put it in. It's just it, it beggars belief. Really. Just to, just so Sammy, just to update on that, just to explain exactly what's happened. I mean, these forms are filled out electronically these days, I believe, not like it's a fax in the old days. Um, but Leon have accused West Ham of incomprehensible behaviour and a lack of respect towards towards us and the player. Sorry, Sammy, just, yeah, just carry on. We don't quite know how this can happen, but it has. Yeah. Incomprehensible behaviour towards the journalists as well. We're trying to go to bed at, Absolutely. at, at quarter to 12 at night uh, and and this landing on their phones, Ian. So how does it happen? It's, it, listen, the, the, what, what, what happens on these days, these days are so hectic and let's not forget as well, West Ham had a game yesterday. So um, that would, that would have taken up a lot of their focus. Uh, in terms of the club's resources, you know, uh, admin staff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not saying it's an excuse, but there was a lot going on yesterday. They were trying to get four nails out of the door. They were they were looking at signing another um, another attacking winger. I'm told who you know, who 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 could come off the left or the right and and, and chip in with goals. Um, they couldn't get that, so they had a load of different focuses, a load of different irons in the fire. Um, so. In, conceivably, the, the 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 their failure to submit the paperwork was just a would would have been just been an oversight. Now that doesn't help Ben Rama obviously because he's now got to come back to a club where he knows he wasn't wanted. He had the opportunity to play at Leon. Uh, now he's going to return to Rush Green today and 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 train and and try to <laughs> and try to break into a team where he knows he's simply not not needed or, or wanted. Not a, not a great night for West Ham. David Moyes also had to see his big transfer of the window, Calvin Phillips, who came on a loan from Manchester City, uh, pass the ball uh, straight to Dominic Solanke, I think, in the fourth minute of their game against Bournemouth. Not a great start, but we know we, we know Calvin Phillips is a good player. He will improve. I'd imagine he will improve uh, West Ham too. Now, these things have ha- have happened before. Um, a David De Gea transfer from Manchester United to Real Madrid fell down at the last minute in 2015 on the back of a misplaced fax. Uh, De Gea ended up spending another seven or eight years at Old Trafford after that. And I also always remember, and will never forget, 2008, the first transfer window of the Abu Dhabi uh, regime or era at Manchester City. Um, 
a, uh, a head of communications who's left the club now, who I knew, who we all know very well, and she won't mind me naming her, Vicky Kloss, um, was asked to send a fax to uh, Real Madrid to table a £30 million offer for their Brazilian wonder kid, Rabinho. Shows how slim the staff was at City back then, that the head of comms was sending this fax. And Vicky, bless her, put the bit of paper in upside down. So all Real Madrid received was a blank bit of paper <laughs> from Manchester City. And that is a true story. Vicky, Vicky will corroborate that story. However, we always we also do know that that deal was saved at the last minute. Rubinho did come and play for Manchester City, as we know. Um, now, Sammy, I believe last night you were also, at the last minute, working on a story that might have seen Jesse Lingard on the move. Yeah, the, the news broke late last night about a, a potential move for for Jesse Lingard to South Korea uh, with FC Seoul. So, uh, as news broke, tried to make some get some information, tried to make some calls on it. Um, it was um, clarified to me and verified to me that um, FC Seoul are indeed interested in 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 um, Jesse Lingard. Um, that they've offered him a two year deal to go and play over in uh, in Southeast Asia. But then it was also sort of um, uh, said to me that just to, to, just, to, just to hold back a little bit on saying that, that it, is a, it is a done deal uh, because he's got, he, he's got up to 26 other offers, I'm told, uh, from, cl- from various clubs all over the world who, who uh, are interested in taking in, in Jesse Lingard. And I think that, the, I think the, the intriguing thing here is why this news broke at half past ten on transfer deadline day, when Jesse agent Jesse um, Lingard is a free agent and doesn't have to sign inside the window. Um, so yeah, that was an intriguing, I think, factor and element of the of of, of, uh, of the news breaking. But yes, um, FC Seoul are very interested in signing Jesse Lingard. But whether whether that deal happens. I think remains to be seen. Uh, he's given it serious consideration, I'm told. But uh, you know, but I think he's giving some of the other offers he's got in consideration as well. Did you also mention to me off air that Lazio might be one of those clubs that are interested? Yes, yes, we're we're informed that Lazio are, are among the clubs that um, have made offers to to Jesse Lingard. Um, it, you know, it 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 depends on how and how far he would want to venture, how far he he would be willing to move away from his family if he's to move abroad. Um, you know, going to going to Seoul. Uh, I've been to Seoul. It's a great place, but you know, it's it's a long flight home uh, back to back to Blighty, and it, you know, it, it just depends on whether he he wants to put himself through those sort of th- those flights and those travel arrangements. Well, as as, as regular as regular listeners to this podcast will know, I'm quite fond of Jesse Lingard, so I hope he gets himself sorted out. I hope that one of those 26 offers that he has proves uh, amenable to him and he gets his career back on track. Now, a few facts and figures of this window. Um, only 17 permanent deals and 13 loans took place across the Premier League across the whole of January. And only 13 of those 30 deals took place yesterday. Spending of £100 million across the window is the lowest in the Premier League since 2012. And the £30 million spent yesterday was down on the £275 million that was spent on the final day of last year's window, although most of that was spent by, spent by Chelsea. It's been the same in the EFL and across Europe. Um, English clubs have still spent more than counterparts in Italy, Spain and Germany. Only the French have spent more. Uh, previously, 
um, in in uh, other more exciting transfer windows. We could have been sitting here talking about Enzo Fernandez going to Chelsea for £107 million on the final day last year. Pierre um, Emmerich Aubameyang went to Arsenal for £56 million pounds. 2018. Fernando Torres, Liverpool to Chelsea, £50 million. Andy Cowell, Newcastle to Liverpool, £30 million. Spurs signed uh, Luca Moura on a deadline day. He went on to get them into a Champions League final. Jared Bowen was a deadline day transfer. So was Miguel Almiron to Newcastle. So it just shows that this is often a busy time. And for reasons that we've discussed previously on, on other episodes, it wasn't the case this time. I think clubs had front-loaded a lot of their transfer business last summer. Financial fair play has been um, is coming into the equation as well. And the biggest deal of this window actually took place back in early January when Spurs... And paid Genoa £25 million for the defender, Radu Dragasin. So, Sammy, looking back over the month, winners and losers for you from, from this window. Who's who's had a good who's had a good window and who's stunk the place out? Yeah, I think you know, I think Tottenham have had a, a fantastic window. It's not often that we can come on these podcasts and um or any anything really, sort of even even with our day jobs on the on the newspaper and praise Tottenham, um, Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy, but I think uh, the way that they've operated in January um, has been fantastic, and he deserves a lot of praise for that. You know, in, in, a, in, a, in a world of self sustainability, uh, financial sustainability, um, they've been a picture of that of this this um, this month, and, and and they've shown what can be achieved if you if you work within a a, a framework. Because they are the only one of the only clubs at the start of the window, obviously, who who have spent significant money on a on a permanent signing, and you know they also got Timo Werner uh, over the line as well as Dragusin as the as the, um, as the 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 signing that you you, you mentioned earlier. Um, they've done fantastic business, and I think that club now is set up to moving forward because of the way that Daniel Levy has. Has has run that club and kept a tight rein on the, on the finances. I think they they are in a position now to to continue uh, spending. Like, late last night, one of the late 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 um, signings and, and stories I was working on was was uh, Jurgarden's youngster. Um, uh, I forget his name, uh, Lucas Bergval, who has rejected Barcelona to sign for Tottenham at the at, at, at ahead of next season. And, that, and that's another coup for them. And I think the way that Levy, Daniel Levy, has 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 yes, he's been you know he's been a, a divisive figure at Tottenham because of among the fan base because of the way that he's he's kind of run that run the club's finances and maybe refused to spend heavily uh, on, on on strengthening the squad. But I think that all all of those decisions are now uh, benefiting Tottenham, and it will benefit Ange Postecoglou. Sort of in the present with the signings that they've made and 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 moving forward into the into the next transfer windows. I've written a, I've written a column today um, in the Daily Mail's print edition and, and across our digital platforms about Spurs and about Levy and made the point in that column that that Spurs' revenue for the 2022-2023 season was the highest of any club in London. That stadium really is coming on to. You know, coming onto track now in, for them in terms of making them money, NFL NFL games, uh, concerts, uh, the merchandising is going through the roof. Um, Kieran Maguire, the football finance expert, actually predicts that if Tottenham get into Premier League, uh, sorry, into the Champions League, 
next season, which it looks as though they might, if they get into the Champions League next season, their match day revenue may well eclipse that of Manchester United, who have always been the standard setter from that point of view. So, you know, like you say, it's rare that we, that we say these things about Daniel Levy, but he's, he's looked after the pounds, sorry, he's looked after the pennies over the years, and it does look as though the pounds have taken care of themselves. Um, so Tottenham seem to be set up pretty well moving forward. Now, Lewis, uh, Steele is our Merseyside man and he's off to uh, a Jurgen Klopp press conference before long so we need to um, to talk to Lewis now um, pick his brain about all things that have been happening um, in that part of the Premier League uh, landscape first of all mate it's been a tale of two clubs hasn't it on Merseyside I suppose one club Liverpool Premier League leaders who don't need any players and haven't been haven't attempted to get busy in the market and another, Everton, whose need is looking pretty desperate, but can't because of FFP restrictions, etc. They've already received one 10-point penalty from the Premier League, which they, they are appealing. Um, where are we at with all of that, uh, Lewis? Looking forward particularly, what do you see for Everton in the, ne- in the next few weeks and months? Yeah, morning, Lado. It's... Um... It's going to be a very tricky few months ahead for Everton. Uh, they had that. I sat next to you in the Goodison Park press box a few times just before Christmas when they went on that fantastic run. They beat Chelsea, Newcastle, they won at Forest. They give Man United a game. And then since then, it's all fallen apart. They just can't score a goal. They've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who hasn't scored since October. They've got Beto, who's come in in the summer, who's come off the bench a few times. And he's been credited with you know throwing his weight around. But that's not enough. Uh, to stay in the Premier League and they've just got a massive injury crisis in midfield the other night they had Onana pulled out last minute they've got Decore out Idrissa Garner Gaze missed the last month they've got a few more injuries all over the pitch and they just look like the squad's very thin and you do worry about them if if these injuries keep happening you really worry that they could go down whether that's decided on the pitch or in the courts as, as we know the appeal's still going on as we speak it's into its third day we don't know what will happen with that. We know we know what Everton are arguing in the appeal. It's just whether the the appeals board believe what they're saying, take a bit of leeway, give them some points back. Because if they don't get any points back, they're in a really worrying state going into the final few months of the season. I, I suppose the biggest bonus, if there is a bonus for Everton, is that they didn't lose anyone of significance during the window. Because when you are, let's say, financially challenged as a football club, you are vulnerable, aren't you, to other clubs coming and picking off your players? And one of them was the Saudis. They came knocking slightly for Abdullah Dekore. Um, they're told it's not, it was never really a serious worry from Everton's perspective that he was going to leave. But when the Saudis come knocking, you do sort of obviously fear that they'll go, you know, here's 50 million and Everton need fifty million really to to balance the books for the next lot of accounts, which will, you know, with this rolling period thing, it's always going to keep coming back to bite them. What happened long before Sean Dyche got to the club? Decore is Everton's best player, I think. He every time he plays, he, Everton seems to play better. He scores goals. He he's creative and he puts himself about off the ball as well. So if if they lost him, I genuinely think that would tip them over the edge. That would have been a disaster to lose Decor. You mentioned Saudi there. Interesting. Saudi, the Saudi Pro League summer spend on transfers last summer was £853 million. This January, £21.3 million. So they've had a drop-off as well. And maybe they just can't persuade anybody to go there anymore. Um, who knows? Now, Liverpool, Lewis, 
Um, the big, uh, the big outgoing, of course, from Anfield in the next few uh, few months will be Jurgen Klopp. We know all about that. Now that has um, Klopp's uh, stated intention to leave has set the hairs running in a, in a few different ways. And, and one one of those ways, quite understandably, is that um, people like yourself and other reporters on Merseyside and, and people like myself and Sammy have started to wonder about whether Klopp's decision will impact on any of hit the current squad in terms of what they may do in the future. You were with uh, a bunch of uh, reporters who spoke to Virgil van Dijk after last Sunday's Norwich game in the FA Cup, where van Dijk was asked about um, his future, whether he would be part of it. Um, his, contract, his current contract expires in 2025. When he was asked that, he said, that's a big question. I don't know. Uh, Jurgen Klopp um, subsequently got a bit agitated about that suggested that everybody should calm down. Virgil van Dijk has subsequently um, taken to YouTube to say that he's been quoted out of context. Now that seems a bit odd because that to me appears to be the context. You know, will you be part of the future? That's a big question. I don't know. That's the context, is it not? Yeah, so if you read the piece that I wrote um, in, in our paper and on our websites and the piece that a lot of the colleagues at other papers and websites wrote as well, Nearly all of the ones that I've seen have said, when asked this question, Virgil van Dijk said this. As far as I can see, that is given all the context that is in the situation. So for Virgil to come out and say that it's been taken out of context doesn't sit well with me, really. However, you can see that Virgil's obviously realised that he shouldn't have said that or he should have said more than he did say because it's not about what he did say, it's about what he didn't say. So he didn't... He could have easily said, you know, I love this club and we'll sit down next summer and talk about the contract or whatever. But he said, I don't know, we'll have to see. And he went on to sort of say, we'll have to see what the club looks like in six months' time, whether that's in terms of the manager, sport and director situation. Obviously, there's nothing to worry about with with like any of them players leaving this summer. But like three of their core, or probably their three best players, realistically, Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Virgil van Dijk all out of contract next summer. There's nothing to worry about imminently, but it could become a problem if they don't sort themselves out this summer. I think I wrote a piece early in the week sort of somehow comparing Liverpool to a, a tower of Jenga. I don't know how I got to that metaphor, but it's basically, it's not just it's not just Klopp that's been pulled out. It's Pep Linders, it's Vita Matos, it's Pete Kravitz, and mainly... Uh, just as big as Klopp is the sporting director George Schmatke. So it's five really big pieces being pulled out of the tower. It's you know it's a, it's been a tower of stability for the last eight and a half years. It's been a club that's been the envy of most of Europe. Really, not many clubs in Europe have been run as well as Liverpool in terms of transfer business. There's obviously maybe Manchester City and Real Madrid when you look at their squad planning in the last few years. But there are now signs that it is starting to shake a little bit. The foundations are obviously very good. But Mike Gordon, the FSG president, who's running this whole recruitment process from Boston, has got a lot has got a big task on his hands to get in a sporting director and a manager that not just work in tandem, but they're gonna work for the future of the club because it, they're in a very good state at the moment, but there are signs that it could become shaky if they don't get these calls right in the next six months. I once fell into a fireplace playing a game of giant Jenga. 
Um, although happily, it wasn't it wasn't lit. Um, but good analogy, I think. Good analogy. Yeah, Tower of Jenga, like it. Now, moving all the way down to the top of the Premier League, where Liverpool sits all the way down towards the bottom end. Lewis, who do you think has done reasonably well at the bottom end of the Premier League in the transfer window, if indeed anybody? Forrest, perhaps predictably, have been busy. Um, anything else caught your eye down there? Yeah, well... Um... I had to scratch my head at this one because I looked down the Premier League table and I thought, they've signed no one, they've signed no one, they've signed no one. And you mentioned Forrest, I think that's all right. I think, to be honest, I'm going to go with quality over quantity though. I think Fulham signing Breuer, Breuer however we're pronouncing it, is a really good signing <laughs> for them. Um, I just think, I've seen Fulham have come to Merseyside four times this season because they've played in the Prem at both clubs and in the Carabao Cup at both clubs. So I've watched them a few times and I was down at Craven Cottage last week as well. And I thought, these are a really good team. They they lost 4-3 to Liverpool at Anfield, but they, they're they the closest anyone's come to winning at Anfield this season. Um, closer than Arsenal and Man United have come who have been there. Um, they were 3-2 up not long before the end and somehow contrived to lose 4-3. But in the most times I've watched them, I thought, you know what, if they had, if they had a bit about them up front, they, they could easily finish in the top eight or nine places in the Premier League. So, Breuer could be the man to take them there. Um, I watched him a bit when he was at Southampton a few years ago and thought he, he had a bit of a swagger about him. He sort of bullied defenders. He knew where the goal was. He's obviously lost that confidence in the last 18 months. He had a very long-term injury and couldn't really get a kick at Chelsea. But I think this is a good bit of business and it's it's a win-win for Fulham with this sort of you know, they're only paying a loan fee at this stage and they only pay the f- a bit more if he plays a certain amount of games. So if he's no good, then fair enough. But if he is, then they only pay a few million. So it's a, I think that's the best business. We're just smiling a little bit here because we've we've managed to pronounce Brogia about six different ways on this podcast. Well, I have during the course of this week. Sammy Mottbell, who's still with us, assures me it is Brogia. So that is the way I'm going to go Right, Lewis, mate, I think you've got to go. Well, I know you've got to go. You've got to go and see um, Jurgen Klopp and tell him that you didn't take uh, his star central defender's uh, words out of context. And given what you've just told me, I know which side of the fence I'm on with that one, mate. You're comfortable with you're comfortable with what you heard Van Dyke say, and I'm very, very glad to hear that. Thanks for um, being with us um, there, mate. Now, as I said at the top of the show, we were hoping to have Craig Hope with us today but Craig has had to go off to an Eddie Howe press conference um, however he has been good enough to provide us with this dispatch from Newcastle's training ground well morning guys a bit of belated break and transfer news from here at Newcastle's training ground this morning and that is that Jason Tindall replaces Eddie Howe for today's pre-match press conference yet Eddie Howe brackets illness has joined the list of Newcastle United absentees which currently runs into double figures now we're told he's going to be okay for, uh, for tomorrow's game against Luton now because Eddie isn't here to answer the questions we were going to ask him about Newcastle United's transfer business or lack of this month I'll have to answer them myself in the 
big one is, have Newcastle United left themselves short? My honest feeling is yes. We went into this month and in the very first week we asked the question of Eddie, do you need players? He said, yes, this squad needs help. The absolute priority was a central midfielder. Calvin Phillips was explored for various reasons, you know, a concern over lack of game time plus the, the finances of the deal. Newcastle pulled pulled out of that one. Eddie wanted a midfielder. He, he hasn't arrived. I think they also needed a forward. That's what I was saying at the start of the month. Look at what has happened in January. Callum Wilson has got injured and Alexander Rizak right on the eve of transfer, uh, the transfer deadline, he's picked up a problem too. Looks like he's going to be missing for a few weeks. Wilson and Isaac, and I did this calculation earlier, in the time at the club have both started exactly 50% of the Premier League games that they they should have been available for. So there you go. They've got a weakness at centre-forward. They've got a definite weakness in the middle of the park in terms of only three fit midfielders at the moment. The fourth-choice midfielder is a young guy, Joe White, who has come back. Uh, from a lone spell at crew. He's only 21-year-old, never played in the Premier League. So I think they need a reinforcement. The reason why they, they haven't brought players in, of course, we explored this on the podcast the other day, is because of FFP, because of those restraints, because of those limitations. A player had to go out for them to bring anyone in. A move for Miguel Almiron to Saudi Arabia was explored. Kieran Trippier, of course, to Bayern Munich. Newcastle didn't want to sell, even though if Bayern had gone high enough, I think they, I think they would have done. We could have had movement there. There was interest in Callum Wilson from Atletico Madrid and others but yeah when we approached the final week of the window Eddie almost changed to the point whereby he said no I'd prefer to keep this squad intact rather than have rather than have some late movement perhaps that's with the you know the confidence the belief that Joe Willock will be back to fitness soon but I still think that even though those players are coming back the chances are given Newcastle's injury record this season and we've seen Eddie Howe go down this morning they still could lose more between now and the end of the year and that would be a, a great shame because we saw Aston Villa on Tuesday night when this team is 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 at it when it's at its best it is really an elite top four side as it proved last season I just worry they might have left themselves short Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, before we chat to Jack Gorn, our Manchester City expert, I would just like to point you to a couple of polls we've got running on Spotify at the moment on yesterday's uh, two editions of It's All Kicking Off. A couple of interesting topics came up. One emerged from a chat with Sammy Mottbell. Sammy 
told me that Mauricio Pochettino is facing some awkward conversations at Chelsea in this summer about his future. So we started a poll on Spotify about whether Pochettino is the right man to take Chelsea forward beyond this summer. That poll is still going. Currently, 61% of respondents say no, Pochettino is not the man to take Chelsea forward. Um, and the other poll we had was a bit a bit of fun. came off the back of the James Madison, Neil Mopé spat at the end of the Tottenham Brentford game on Wednesday night. And we asked whether Madison or Mopé had come out on the top end of that bit of back and forth. And so far, 89% of you have come down firmly on the side of the Tottenham midfielder, James Madison. Those polls are still running. If you want, if you, if you go to Spotify for each of those two episodes from yesterday, you'll find those polls in the, in the show, in the show notes. So cast a vote. Let us know what you, let us know what you think. Um, and while you're at it, um, whether you're listening on Spotify or indeed Apple podcasts, um, the, another little game we've been playing all week has been to name our three best January transfer signings of all time. So if you want to go to the comment section on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and leave your suggestions there and we will get to them. Now we can get to Jack. Um, you're a Manchester City expert, as I said, and I can only imagine that Pep Guardiola, uh, um, Cheeky Bagiristan and everybody at, at City must be delighted with the way this transfer window has gone simply because none of City's rivals at the top of the Premier League have signed anybody at all. Yeah, well, yeah, he hit the nail on the head. Um, the, it's been a really strange window, hasn't it, really? Um, it's getting... I mentioned to someone yesterday, I just wondered whether they're better off scrapping it and knocking it on the head at this point because no one, there doesn't really seem to be any benefit for anybody apart from like fringe players who need minutes in the Championship. But they seem to be the only market that, that benefit from, from this window. Um, and City don't really... They never really do anything, any business... Uh, the last player they bought that went straight into the team was was Laporte in 2018, I think. Um, so they just basically just watch and see what everyone else is going to do. And because of the nature of it and, you know, club scared of FFP and things like that, there hasn't been that much done. And they're in, I think they're in an absolutely brilliant position to go and win the league again. I, th- I think that's called strategy, isn't it, uh, Jack? I think not <laughs> not having to sign anybody in January. I think that's called strategy. So a few other clubs could maybe take a leaf out of their book. City have also got, as we know, well, Kevin De Bruyne is, almost, is back already. Erling Haaland is now back. To, to use that old cliche, they will feel like new signings. And in terms of, again, City's opposition, they'll look like new signings as well because City, full strength, they're a pretty fearsome outfit still, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, De Bruyne certainly is like a new signing, isn't he? Because he's been out for so long. But also, he looks like mm. a completely new bloke, like just like reborn. Um, smiling more, like weirdly, like we've never seen that with De Bruyne before. Good hair. Definitely new hair, which, you know, there was a lot of excitement in the Daily Mail offices with the new hair, I think, wasn't there? There really was, wasn't there? I was quite surprised <laughs> about that. It really was, yeah. Just like grown, just grown it about four inches. That's yeah, all he's done. Not just dissimilar to mine, really. Um, yeah, he's, but he's like, looks energised after after months off. Um, and he's come back come back into it like he like he wasn't away, really. I think um, when he made his assist in the Burnley game the other night, it meant that he he got a goal and two assists in like 66 minutes of football this season already. Um, he's just like a different level. And then you've got Harlan going back, even though Harlan was amusingly not brilliant against Burnley the other night, like mistimed a header and it was quite a funny air kick as he went 
it went through through on goal. Um, it was about like sharp in a few weeks, I guess, and that's a worry for everyone. And then St- like Stones on Wednesday, just cruised through the game. Like England's best defender, isn't he? He's like one of the best in the world. He's like different level. He's one of the. I think he's one of the stories of Pep's reign. Really, that he was so. He was so far out of it. They were playing Eric Garcia and Fernandinho ahead of him at, at one point, and now, like you look at him, he's completely undroppable. Yeah, he is. He is. A, he is a modern day Franz Beckenbauer, I think. Um, now, if you can answer this question very, very succinctly and shortly, if you can, um, Calvin Phillips has gone to West Ham on loan. Um, one of the strangest transfers of the Manchester City modern era. Why? What happened with Calvin Phillips? Why? Would you sign a player from Leeds, England international, at the top of his game, and then just never play him? What happened there? Well, you could sort of answer it in the question, really. Um, England international, at the top of his game, 42 million quid for, for those two things um, is not bad business. Um, looked like he was going to be, from a personality and a character perspective, he was quite you know content with playing second fiddle to to Rodri, um, wanting to act as that backup and then try and fight his way into the team. It just like this shoulder injury in the first few weeks just uh knackered him really. Um and he couldn't he couldn't recover from that. But you know, Guardiola's quite close with Bielsa, so he's obviously taken Bielsa's word for it. Bielsa loves Phillips. Um so that had a had a lot to do with the with the signing as well. And they thought the they thought they were able to play him a bit further forward as like a number eight, and it just never happened. But what went wrong with it? Well, what, what went wrong? What was the issue? I just, I just don't think he, I don't think he picked up the messages quickly enough. Um, and then he, and then he was injured for three months in that, in that like crucial period where, from the September to the to the November, um, when you're like trying to pick up what City actually want to do in training, when he like realised he wasn't going to play that much, but needed to needed sessions with the players to. To just get it, um, he wasn't there. He was on a treatment table instead, so that was missed. And then by the time he's back properly, he said to me when I interviewed him in the summer, he he said like, got to January and I was back fit, but then they needed to win every week and they couldn't they couldn't play me and they couldn't you know there was no way of me getting in, so sort of wrote off the season. Do you do you do you think he will emerge again as a genuinely top top player, or with the greatest respect to West Ham? Where he's gone alone, is that going to be his level? Yeah, that might be. That might end up being his level, and obviously, there's no, there's no shame in that whatsoever, is there? Because they're, they're a massive club. Um, yeah, I think it'd be one of those these this, these sort of situations. Players end up getting ashen by it, don't they? You can get really hurt by what's happened to him over the last eighteen months. Like you can get really down. Like Phillips is a really bubbly character, always smiling, like great in the dressing room. But people like around him, I did a piece on him last week, and they were saying like he just hasn't been himself for the last three or four months. Like the light's gone out a little bit. Now, if you can, if you can refine that, if you can recapture that, then maybe, maybe there is a chance to get back to the top. But it's a very specialised position, and, and teams only have one quality player in that in that number six position in, in the top four, don't they? So it's not where do you go? And just before we let just before we let you go, mate, and get into your three best ever January transfers, um, it's a week ago now since Jurgen Klopp um, dropped the bombshell that he's leaving Liverpool. Have they, have they stopped smiling at the Etihad about that yet? I don't think so. I don't think they will do, will they? It's like, 
there's a element of they think they've seen him off. Um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. This doesn't it's, sound like Man City to make it personal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I mean, someone mentioned that to me last week, uh, the other day, sorry, earlier this week. Um, which you know, fair enough. Uh, and I mean, Guardiola will look at it and go, Liverpool might need a little bit of. Not a rebuild, but it's going to take a little bit of time for a new manager to to get his feet under the table, and I think he'll look at the rest of the league and think this is probably there for the taking. Um, I don't think Klopp would have stayed as long as he has without Guardiola, and I don't think Guardiola would have stayed as long as he has without Klopp. So, from that perspective, it's interesting to see what happens next with with Pep. If you if you had to put ten quid on the table now in terms of in terms of when Guardiola goes, what would your what would your guesstimate be? I think twenty twenty five. So one more season, yeah, yeah. Blimey. Although to be fair, I have been saying to everyone that because that'll be nine years that that he's done. Then, but I've been saying to everyone for ages that I don't think he'll do nine. I think he'll either do eight or ten. So actually, I've just contradicted. We so could go this summer then. Wow, you've heard it here wow. first. Guardiola's on his wow. Guardiola's on his way. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. I knew there was a reason we had you on. No, we hear what you say. It's it's it's, it's a fluid situation, isn't it? Uh, only Pep will know now. Be, but um, but it does it does feel as though the end, well, the end of that era, I suppose, is already upon us because Klopp Klopp is going. But the great Klopp Guardiola um, relationship um, could be done from both sides of the fence within a couple within a couple of summers. Um, quickly, Jack, your your best three January transfers um, of your time watching and, and covering football. Uh, Andy Cole definitely up there, but does Andy does Andy Cole count? Because it's not in a window, is it? Well, it counted for Greg Hope, so it's so it's already counted. So it's counting, yeah. So Andy Andy Cole definitely. Um, Vidic, I think you've got to have Vidic, haven't you? Yeah, I had Vidic just because how, how important he was. Um, and then Van Dyke, and I was thinking about Van Dyke uh, when we answered this um, question on uh, on Twitter the other day. City were City were right in front da- of. of Right until the end, like it was just it was only over Christmas where it became clear that Liverpool were going to get him, um, and then they signed him like a week later. They signed him a week into the transfer window, didn't they? It was quite quick, I think. Um, and it just made me think, like, if City had managed to get that over the line, Premier League probably looks a little bit different over the last few years, doesn't it? Well, basically, basically would have meant that, that that City would have won all of them, and that Liverpool wouldn't have been able, Liverpool wouldn't have been getting involved um, at all. Um, but yeah, you're right; it did happen very quickly, and um, it had an inc- incredible effect. As we know, Liverpool went on to win Premier League, Champions League, just about everything else with with, uh, with Van Dijk in the team. Now, I'm going to name my best ever January transfer because I haven't had a go for a couple of days, and this might be a surprise one. So another name that I can't pronounce, um, Moise Casado, who's obviously now at Chelsea, um, from IDV in Ecuador to Brighton for twenty-five million pounds in two thousand twenty-one. Now that sounds like something and nothing, but only only three million pounds of that deal was paid up front. The rest of it was to come out of any future transfer, and that future transfer was. £110 million for Casado to Chelsea uh, last summer. I will leave you to work out on the pro- the profit on that. But that is um, that is what you call a good bit of transfer business. And one little thing jumped out at me when I was looking into all of this last night. There was one player in this transfer window, just shuffling my notes desperately here, one player in this transfer window who moved 
twice to the same club. And that is the goalkeeper. Really, I'm shuffling my notes desperately. The goalkeeper, Jed, Jed Steer, who Aston Villa fans will remember, once played a rather heroic um, part in a playoff semi-final. Um, Jed Steer went... I have lost it on my notes. I'm going to have to make it up. Jed Steer went to Peterborough for two or three games earlier in the window on a short-term deal. That deal finished and he left again and now they've re-signed him again until the end of the season. So where do you go? Jed Steer signed twice by the same club in the same transfer window. That might even be a first. Sammy, before we go, um, I want to make one point to you. Is that We're talking about how nobody spent any money in this transfer window, and that is true. However, across the two windows of this season, i.e. last summer and, and this January, there's still been £2.5 billion spent, which makes it the which makes it the second biggest highest spend of all time. So it looks to me as though, essentially one of the reasons why no one spent this window, apart from the FFP issue, is that they all did it last summer instead. And with that in mind, will we see the big clubs break free um, from these shackles and um, put some money on the table in the summer, yeah, for sure. To, to an well, yeah, to an extent. Now, I just wonder if clubs will look at what's happened this January and look at the way that they front loaded their their spending in the summer and think, hang on a minute, maybe we just need to reserve and hold a little bit of dough back for January uh, in case we need to go and do something again. Um, I, I I I look at Arsenal, for example, <clears throat> and. I, I look at their business with Kai Havertz and I think, did you really need to do that deal? Could you have used that money? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, could you have used that money uh, now in, in, in January to go and sign a striker that actually may propel you and push you over the line in a, in a, in a, in a title race? So I just wonder if what's happened this, this month with, um, with the, the restrictions on club spending, I wonder if that changes the strategy for clubs moving moving into next season but i still suspect that the big clubs will will do the the, the bulk of their spending on uh, in the summer because you've got to back your judgment you've got to back your recruitment guys you've got to back what they're saying and um yeah you know if you can get whoever's at the top of your list in the summer then you should you should you should do it because then you get that player for 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 you know for six months of the time of the season. But in saying that, as I've I, and I'm sort of repeating myself, I think this this January should serve as a warning to to, to to clubs in the Premier League, is to say, look, yeah, we do want to strengthen in the summer, but you know, let's let's be mindful that we we may need to go again. In, uh, in January. It's quite amusing to hear you say there that Arsenal may ask themselves whether they really needed to do the Kai Havertz deal. And I totally get that. But if, if you if you take that if you take that analysis and plonk it on the on the doorstep of a club like Chelsea, they could probably ask themselves, well, did we really need to do those 74 transfers that we did last <laughs> summer? And Nottingham Forest, yeah. Nottingham Forest may say the same. Right, <clears throat> Sammy, crystal ball time. You think Tony to Arsenal will happen from Brentford in the summer, don't you? Anything else that you think might happen or yes. will happen? Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in uh, Ramsey, Jacob Ramsey at Aston Villa. I think the top six clubs would all be looking at him and uh, be thinking he's obtainable. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very good player. He's homegrown um, and he's young enough to mould, I think. And I think there'll be 
be a lot of top clubs looking at him. Be interesting to see um, what happens with Curtis Jones heading into the summer. Again, another really very, very good player, but his performances are catching the attention of of, uh, of a number of clubs. I'm told. Wow, that's a big call. Yeah, uh, I, listen, whether you know, look, he's at Liverpool, you know, and he's he's at his hometown club. Um, I don't know his contractual situation off the top of my head, but he's attracting interest from 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 a number of clubs, Engli- and, English clubs, from English clubs. Yeah, right. wow, uh, yeah. some clubs in the south and. Um, but again, you know, he, he is a, he is a player who, uh, will, will probably be central to, um, Liverpool's future, uh, um, when Jurgen Klopp goes. But I think if there's any sense that he is available or obtainable, uh, I think there'll be, there'll be some clubs who, who would try and take advantage of that situation. That's really interesting, Sammy. Lots of interest, Sammy says, from uh, big London clubs. You can probably work out who they are. In Curtis Jones, if I was Liverpool, regardless of what's happening with Jurgen Klopp, I would wrap that boy up in cotton wool, throw money at his feet, buy him a house, give him a new car, send him on a holiday, do whatever he wants, keep him at Anfield. He's a, he's a top player. Right, Sammy, Mark Bellard, Chief Football Reporter. Thank you very much, Jack. Gorn, our Man City man, thank you very much. That is it. That is the end of our week of it's all kicking off transfer uh, specials. I hope you've enjoyed them. Um, the show will roll on, of course. Chris and I will be back in the studio on Monday for our regular It's All Kicking Off um, uh, programme. In the meantime, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please remember to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. It's really important. Uh, leave us some comments, leave us some reviews. Go to the Spotify show notes and vote in our two polls about Pochettino, about the James Madison, Neil po- Mope spat. And that is it. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Sammy. This has been It's All Kicking Off Transfer Week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 